This is High Voltage with Bobby Watts. What's going on everybody? How you guys doing? This is Bobby Watts here. This is the first Q&A for my High Voltage podcast. Um, so I've got a few episodes out now, and I seem to get uh, a decent amount of questions from time to time with regards to you know the kind of topics in my subject range from uh, radio control to drones to kind of working for yourself, um, whatever it might be. And uh, I just wanted to throw a quick kind of Q&A episode together and uh, answer some of the questions that you guys uh, submitted and some of the types of questions that I seem to get a lot. Um, so I don't think this one will be too long, and hopefully it'll bring you some value. Uh, if at any time you guys do have a question, please feel free to hit me up on any of my social channels, um, or you can just literally email me, bobby at wattsinnovations.com, uh, or whatever it might be. So I put a post up last week asking everybody to submit their questions, and we got a few. That's all we need. We got a few just to get the ball rolling uh, from my uh, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn mainly. So uh, we will take some questions from each of those, some of the ones that I thought were really good, and uh, we'll just see how this goes. So here we go. So the first question from Igor Fokeev, F-O-K-E-E-V, Igor. Anyway, from Facebook, Igor Fokeev. I'm definitely interested in the business aspect. Also, would love to hear your recommendation for a path to proficiency. As somebody with a lot of RC experience, would it be smart to start with a small recreational quad in order to master manual operation, or should one move straight into a pro-grade camera rig? All right. So my guess is Igor is uh, very interested in doing some sort of uh, uh, filming using drones. So that's a wide opportunity right there and a wide market. Um, so he's asking kind of how to get started. He's got a lot of RC experience. Okay, so I've discussed this in the past, but I think it's worth noting again because this is such, you know, I, I, I get asked this all the time. People with RC experience, it usually tends to be out just males in their 50s, 60s, you know, kind of approaching retirement, I guess, or looking for a new career path. Sometimes it's younger, um, but it seems like this is mostly like a, a older um, demographic question. Um, so basically to get going, like if, if I were you, if you just wanted to get started by flying a drone in return for money, um, if I were you, I would just start poking around in, in your area and just using whatever, go on Twitter and search for hashtags for like drone or something, or just see what people in your area are doing, see what kind of opportunities there are. Because for example, if you're in Miami and there's a lack of uh, real estate photos, for example, so like, you, you know, you look at Miami and there's always um, new, new places going up and always a ton of real estate that needs photos, that right there might be a huge opportunity for real estate. Where if you're in uh, North Dakota somewhere and there's just miles and miles of land that needs to be uh, taken photos of and for photogrammetry uses and uh, maybe some infrared inspections and such, it's a different place in, in the country or in the world. And so your opportunities are going to be a little different. So first thing I would do is just look in your area and see what drone operators are doing. What are they doing to stay busy? Um, you know, what types of jobs are they getting? So that would be the first thing. Second thing I would do is I would get any drone at all and become incredibly good at flying, period. 
because you are now going to be a professional pilot. So therefore you should be extremely, extremely good at flying. So pick up anything you can. My number one pick to this day still, I think for the last year, it's been a DJI Spark. You can get them for literally less than 500 bucks and they're awesome, they're great. They do everything very well, very easy to fly. It's a nice high definition camera. It, it works just great. So that'll get you going, that'll get your feet wet. So take that Spark and see what you can use or whatever it might be. You could use a 3DR Solo, find one of those or a Phantom or whatever it might be. Just take that aircraft and see how many different um, kind of shoots or gigs you can land with it at first and then see where the opportunity is. Once again, if, if they need, um, I don't know, photos taken of bridges or, you know, infrastructure inspection, you might find a situation where it's like, oh, I need to get a better drone for this, but I could pay it off in a gig or two. So that's how you kind of get in and upgrade. Um, the other thing to take a look at too is some of the uh, drone services out there. Uh, I believe we're informal today. Um, so I believe there's another one like Drone Lancer. That's one right there. So like you can sign up for one of their websites and uh, you can sign up for here and they'll bring you jobs. Um, I personally had uh, zero luck with any of these when I tried these about three years ago. Um, but I, I think that that's, you know, some of these are worth taking a look for. Just literally go to Google and type in um, hire a drone and see where people are going to hire drone operators. Then you sign up and then you're good. Uh, last but not least, make sure you get, if you're in the U.S., make sure you get your FAA Part 107 license so that you can legally operate a drone in exchange for money. Um, and also, number two, I'd recommend a on-demand uh, drone insurance. Just literally Google that because there's a bunch of companies out there doing it where you can literally pull up to a job. If you have a half an hour job, you can just buy insurance for that half an hour job. And it's like 10 bucks, 20 bucks. So that's how I would get started um, if I were being a uh, professional drone operator today. All right, so the next question. So these are all drone related. So this is drone q and It's got to be. Um, okay, this is from Up Up Berlin on Instagram. Uh, why choose Pixhawk over N3 or A3 controller for standard camera flying? Also, what's a good starting point and resource for info about a Pixhawk setup? Okay, this is a loaded question. I feel like I could do a dissertation on this question. I get asked this a lot. So basically, he's asking about flight controllers for a multi-rotor. Um, on one hand, we have the DJI A3 flight controller, or the N3, which is just a cheaper version, but still really good. Um, or we also have the Pixhawk, or also known as the Cube. Um, I got one right here. So, um, once again, this is a loaded question, but I'm just going to try to give an abbreviated uh, answer for you, so we don't go on too crazy here. Okay, it basically comes down to, um, number one, are you a fan of open source software where you can adjust literally every single parameter on the aircraft? Or number two, do you want a flight controller that's really easy to set up and just works, but it's closed? Um, so that's basically the difference. So with the DJI A3, it's made for, I would say like a prosumer, um, where it's kind of plug and play, you put everything together, um, you just set it up. When it comes time to adjust the gain, you literally have a little slider where you just adjust 
the gain. It's just a button, it says gain. So when it comes to the cube, we have this for the hardware. So this is the actual flight controller itself, which I should note can be mounted on literally anything like a car or a boat or a plane or a, a multi-rotor, whatever it might be. It's, the hardware itself is incredibly powerful um, and can do a lot of different things. And with this, for a multi-rotor, for example, we can either load PX4 on it or ArduPilot. And it's two completely different um, uh, code bases and, and uh, communities and developers. So it's worth looking into. Uh, once again, that's a whole other subject we could get into. But basically, uh, I tend to run ArduPilot, which is... is been put together for free, I should add, uh, by a bunch of different developers all over the world. Uh, and it's really incredible. It's a huge online community. You can take a look and join in and talk on the forums and such. But you should just note that I would tell anybody that if they're gonna get into a PixHawk or the Cube, just set aside many, many hours to read as much information as you can about it on the forums, uh, watch as many YouTube videos as you can, and just get started. Get a small test quad, put something together, and just get started. That's the best thing I can say, because it's different. With the DJI system, you plug it in, you're ready to go. Um, where with the PixHawk or the Cube setup, uh, it's, the learning curve is a little steep. It's gonna take you a little while to get up and running. Um, other than the user friendliness, I guess we could say, um, on one hand with DJI, we do have to bring up the fact that uh, that information they have revealed is going back to DJI and potentially other third parties. So if you were to take a photo of a very, um, let's just say, let's just say you got hired to take a photo of a nuclear power plant, let's just say. So some important infrastructure. Uh, and you take a photo and you have the settings turned on in such a way where whatever you take photos of is syncing to the cloud, so to DJI Skypixel, for example, that photo that you just took of that very sensitive asset is now being uploaded to the cloud and potentially on a Chinese server. So as I talked with Jeff uh, a few weeks ago about cybersecurity with drones, we brought up this very topic. So we find that I find that some of my clients, they just need to be very careful when it comes to uh, talking to their end customer who they're doing a service for. Just see how important that kind of cybersecurity and sensitivity of the data is. And some clients just don't want that. So for that, we recommend a PixHawk-based flight controller. Now with that, uh, DJI has released a government edition of some of these aircraft and some of these platforms. We'll see how that goes. But if you're dealing with very sensitive information, you're gonna definitely wanna look into the DJI government edition of whatever they're coming out with, or look into something like a PixHawk. Um, or the Cube, I keep, it, the, the words are interchangeable, but it's called the Cube now, okay. Um, and then very lastly, with uh, the Cube versus DJI, with the Cube, there is no geofencing. So literally, you could go take off in the middle of a Class B. Uh, you, could, you could literally go to Reagan International and take your drone off and fly around. Now, you should never do that. That is a very bad idea. But if you are a licensed drone operator and you're a professional, then and, and you have clearance to fly in a certain airspace, then the Cube is nice because it's not going to lock you out where with DJI you actually need to go in and submit your request and then they will remotely unlock you. So, <laughs> to round it out, um, Cube versus DJI, very different, uh, very different setups, very different um, user interfaces and such. So uh, that's kind of the, the basic difference from a 10,000 foot view. Like I said, we could do a whole topic on this. Maybe one day I will. 
Um, and then as far as a resource for, for PigTalk to get in or the cube, uh, I would say YouTube. YouTube and the forums. Um, it's just, you're gonna get a lot put together by a, a lot of different contributors, but um, that's probably the best way to start. So the next question, from my friend Aaron Schell. Uh, Aaron was a longtime writer for RC Heli Magazine, by the way. Very cool magazine back in the day. Uh, he's now working at Horizon Hobbies. So if you're aware of Blade, uh, the Blade helicopters or the Blade um, quadcopters, he's part of that team. It's a great guy. So he asks, Aaron asks, do you have any insight into taking NDVI imagery for agriculture and applying that data to manage pest control, fertilizer, etc.? When I was last looking into it at depth a few years ago, we still hadn't crossed over from a cool whiz bang tech into actionable data that a farmer could see an ROI from. Okay, so Aaron asks about this NDVI imagery. So I have no idea what NDVI imagery is, so I, like anything, I googled it. And basically it's a uh, scientific way to take a look at crops and plants and such, and it's imagery in which you can take a photo and see the health of a plant. Um, so personally, I have not heard of any of this use being used with drones, but that doesn't mean that it's not out there. Um, uh, but let me open this question up a little broader cause I've heard this a lot. I've been getting this a lot recently. It's, it's interesting. Um, so let's just rephrase the question a little bit less, uh, into the NDVI imagery and like, how can a drone help a farmer? Okay. I've been asked this a lot. So I've been saying, hey, my brother's a farmer. He owns, whatever, 100 acres uh, out in the middle of uh, Kansas. And what can he do to monitor his farm? Uh, how can a drone be best served to help him? So um, I think that the tech is finally there where there's a lot that you can do. There's a ton that you can do. If you're just a farmer, know nothing about drones, and you want to use drones to inspect your farm. So the first thing that I would do if I were a farmer and wanted to look at my whatever square miles of, of farm or many acres of farm is I would grab an aircraft um, that's easy to fly like the DJI Mavic 2. That would probably be my go-to. Um, and there's a few different versions of that and either one would be fine. But let's say if you have your Mavic 2, what you could do is you could, you could do a lot of different things. Like number one, just take off and fly around and take pictures and take some video. So that's cool. Take your photos, take your video. Um, and you could go to maybe problem spots and just fly around and um, go in closer and, and get a better look. Uh, because you are so wide open in your farm, you're practically going to be able to hit almost all of your borders of your farm, I would say, if, if you're a mid-sized farm or something like that. You're not going to be going beyond line of sight, I would think. So because you're not beyond line of sight, you're completely legal and you're not flying over people and such. So you could literally fly like a half mile away, depending on how big your area is, and still legally take photos and stuff because um, you're not outside of um, visual sight. So the next thing that you could do is you could load in a program or you could use an application like Drone Deploy or Pix4D. And what that'll allow you to do is what's called photogrammetry. So you can literally drag a box around your uh, farm, around your area, press a button and your drone's gonna fly back and forth and back and forth and do a scan. And it's gonna look like it's cutting the lawn, just like literally back and forth, stepping over um, a few feet each time, so maybe 30 feet at a time. And then what that's going to do is stitch all your images together. And once you're done, you have a map that you can spin around, like a, a, a 3D model that you can spin around on the computer. And you can take a look at the health of your crops. Um, and you have a nice, broad um, photo of your entire farm. So that's really cool. 
Um, the next thing you could do is you could look at another type of aircraft, so like a Mavic 2 Enterprise, or set up a drone with like a flare infrared camera, and you could use infrared to look at maybe hot spots or uh, if plants are, are hotter or colder or such. I don't know exactly how that works with agriculture, but I can tell you that um, just being able to detect different temperatures, I'm sure would be valuable to you. So as a farmer, that would cost you, you know, for an aircraft, like, you know, Mavic 2 or something, you'd be less than like two grand, so maybe 1500. So I think that'd be worth it. I think that that'd be really cool to check out the perimeter and such. Um, so the drones have come to the point now where you can just hit the button, it'll take off itself, fly around and land all without you having to do any intervention, without you having to really know how to fly. So um, I think drones for farmers is uh, it, it's great use, definitely a great use. All right, next one is also from LinkedIn. Uh, Richard Wadsworth asks, is owning a drone for non-commercial use now dead? Um, and our good friend Gary Mortimer came in and said no. Um, Gary, I would agree with you. I would say it is not dead by any means. Um, I think that there's a million applications out there for drones and we are just scratching the surface. But in terms of recreational and hobby uses for drone, there's a ton. I mean, there's a ton. I mean, number one, you have drone racing, FPV racing, which is completely taking off in so many different leagues now. There's many different big leagues. They're having these huge events at these beautiful uh, stadiums and, and, and getaway you know, uh, destinations and such. Um, so drone racing is here to stay. They're on ESPN. They're that's absolutely coming. So I would call that a non-commercial use because most of the people who do drone racing are just enthusiasts and just hobbyists. Um, you have that top tier where I think they're starting to make a decent living now doing that as to where a few years ago that wasn't possible. But I would say most of the people doing drone racing, maybe in a community like multi-GP uh, or a league like that, it's just mostly hobbyists. Um, second, um, I would say a drone for non-commercial use is just probably most people who tend to buy a Phantom or a Mavic or a Spark um, or a, a unique aircraft or, or whatever it might be is they're just using it for fun. So they go hiking on a mountain and they bring it to get a selfie at the top of the mountain um, or they're using it to, uh, it's like I was using my drone a few weeks ago to uh, take photos of my fiance as she was um, water skiing uh, with the boat. Like I can't get a photo a better way than a drone. Um, that was a non-commercial use. Um, also, I think that there's a huge hobby around people just flying drones for fun. Um, I just got back from the world's largest uh, RC helicopter meetup, the Urcha Jamboree in Muncie, Indiana, and you kind of saw drones flying around there too, taking photos, and um, I saw some FPV re racing there on one of the other AMA sites as well. So in terms of like the, the hobby side of drones and practically anything unmanned that flies. It's still very healthy and definitely here to stay. All right, so the last question, uh, this is from AVDC USA on Instagram, uh, asking about my business, Watts Innovations, uh, about how many drones per year do we build for customers? What kind of clearances, if any, do you need to get to do test flights? Uh, and I would throw an add-on on there. Uh, what kind of clearances do we need to, like a license do we need to manufacture and sell the drone? Um, so, in my company, Watts Innovations, we manufacture and sell drones to professional drone service operators. So usually these are guys in one of three kind of areas. Uh, we do a lot of LiDAR. Uh, we sell drones to people doing LiDAR scanning. Um, cinematography, so filming professional grade movies. 
um, and then also kind of cargo hauling and package delivery and just kind of random things like that. Um, so say per year we're building dozens of, uh, of our heavy lift drone um, and it's going up. Uh, thankfully, it's, it's been really incredible. We've been super busy recently, so zero complaints there. Um, we're just building drones every single day and it's mainly our MFD 5000. It's our big heavy lift drone. It can lift uh, about 30 pounds of a payload, 30 to 40 pounds worth of a payload. Um, so in terms of what kind of clearances do we need to do test flights? Uh, not really much of anything. Um, we, I guess we fall somewhere in between uh, uh, FAA Part 107, um, but we're not really performing a service for anybody when we fly. So we're not flying in exchange for, like we're not doing that flight in exchange for money of any sort. Um, so I don't know if that would be considered Part 107, but a lot of the time we do testing, we're flying at an AMA field. Um, so the Academy of Model Aeronautics, which is the um, basically the group or the lobby for um, uh, RC aero modeling. So um, basically, I'd say we fall somewhere in between like hobby testing and FAA Part 107. Now, if we were to be flying drones that were much bigger and faster and heavier, uh, we'd probably go to like a UAS test site uh, in order to do a lot of our testing. But right now, it's just basically... Um, you know, we're not flying under the radar by any means, but it's just basically, uh, it's just not a big deal. We're just at AMA test field and uh, just getting our test flights in before we send out to a customer. Um, so as the add-on, at the moment, there, there are zero requirements for a uh, company such as mine to manufacture and sell drones here in the USA. So I still think it's early days and those regulations and standards are coming, but at the moment, there are zero regulations. Pretty interesting. Um, so yeah, so that's a, a few of our questions here for the first Q&A. Uh, thank you guys for those of you who submitted. Uh, if you guys have any other questions that you'd love for me to cover on another Q&A, um, please feel free to hit me up and let me know. I would love to go over uh, some more the next time. Uh, I've been also getting some really great emails and uh, people have been telling me in person that they've enjoyed some of the past interviews we've had and it's inspired them to start a little business on the side. And I think that's so great. That's so cool. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear stories like that. So if you have anything like that, feel free to hit me up anytime. So that's all I got for now. Thank you guys so much for watching or for listening, uh, whatever it might be. So thank you guys again. I really do appreciate it, uh, all the feedback and the kind comments so far. So uh, I will catch you guys next time. Have a good one. See ya.